The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's sermon is pre-recorded. The turning point. Well, it all began when this Old Testament prophet showed up and began to preach. Not in Jerusalem, beside the Jordan River. He was a strange man. He ate locusts. You know, these insects, dried, high in protein. And he ate honey, he dipped them in honey. He was dressed in camel's hair, rough, tough. And he preached righteousness. He preached repentance. And then he baptized people. So people called him the baptizer. He announced the coming of Messiah. Everyone had waited. It had been 400 years since an Old Testament prophet had shown up. 
400 years is a long time for God to be quiet. And people wanted to know, what's God going to say? They'd all heard the stories of Elijah and Elisha. They knew the stories like we know them. Long past, history, nothing to do with my life today. It was like seeing a man come out of history and suddenly stand before these sophisticated worldly people who had their religious rituals but no understanding of who God was. I tell you, if it happened today, the news would all be right there. And you know what they'd be asking? Who are you? That's what the Jerusalem Post was publishing at that day. Are you the Messiah? No, I'm not the Messiah. Well, who are you? The voice of one crying in the wilderness make straight the path. He was a manly guy. There was nothing effeminate about him. When you got close to him, I'm sure you did not smell pine. He was a man's man. He was a desert man. He was not used to the luxuries of the bathtub. And he began to attract some other men. You know, when I began with Jan, the National Prayer Chapel, I had one condition for this prayer chapel. I said, Lord, if you're not going to send more men than women, don't send me. I said, either you send me strong men who know how to swing the sword of the Spirit, or don't send me. When we get more women than men, I close the church. We're not going to go the effeminate route. Pardon me, ladies. I'm interested in in robust, manly, real faith in Jesus Christ, not anything sentimental or soft. I want something that I can trust, I can put my weight on. Now, this is not to insinuate that women are not strong. Obviously, you have the children. You're stronger than we are. But you hear what I'm saying. Began to attract some strong people. The story is found in the Gospel of John, the first chapter. John makes an announcement. In verse 35, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, he wasn't saying Lamb of God in the sense of sweet and cuddly. He was saying Lamb of God as in the one who will die and whose blood will be shed for your sin. And two of John's disciples heard him say this. And they began to follow Jesus. Please don't catch that as anything religious. All they did was start to walk the same way Jesus was walking. They just wanted to talk to him for a minute and find out who he was. So Jesus turned around and just looked at him and said, what do you want? If somebody starts to follow me, I'm going to turn around and look at him and say, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, where are you staying? The first question God gets when he shows up on the earth is, where's your house? Boy, we put such importance on foolish things. Today we might say, what kind of car do you drive? I don't know what we'd say. What would we say to God if he showed up? Where are you staying? What's your address? Do you go back to heaven every night? Or are you going to stick around with us? Jesus said, 
come and you'll see. So they went and spent the day with Jesus. I would love to have heard the conversation, but it's not recorded for us. We know that shortly after that, Andrew, one of the men who followed Jesus, went and found Peter and said to Peter, we found the Messiah. Now, somewhere in this story, and I don't quite know how to put it together, Jesus disappears, and he's gone for 40 days and 40 nights into the wilderness. So this that's so carefully described for us in the Gospel of John did not happen in 30 minutes like we want our television shows to be done. It wasn't quick. There was a 40-day break somewhere in this relationship. They went and saw where Jesus was staying, and then he disappeared. But somewhere in this mix... Peter is invited to come and meet Jesus. Now, I find that interesting because what was Peter doing while his brother Andrew was following as a disciple John the baptizer? He was fishing. See, Peter was a married man. He had to take care of business. I wonder if there were words between Peter and Andrew. Because Andrew was supposed to be there helping with the fishing. It was a family business. And the nights were long. And it was painful, hard work. And I'm sure Peter had gone and listened to John the Baptist preach. And I'm sure he was probably even baptized by John. But when the service was over, he said, look, I've got fishing to do. I'm out of here. So John is doing his business of fishing, and Andrew is following John the Baptist. You know, I just tell you, honestly, let's be very grateful for Andrews, because without them, we'd miss Jesus. Andrew was willing to wait around long enough to get the word about Messiah. Which are you? Are you willing to wait around long enough on God to begin to get the word of God from the Lord himself? Or do you get everything secondhand? I don't know about you, but I want firsthand when God speaks. I want to hear from myself. I'm happy to hear what you have to share about Jesus. But I want to hear from myself what Jesus has to say. And if you're out fishing all the time, you don't have time to hear from Jesus. Now, some of you here still think it's about money. It's not about money, it's about Jesus. And the only way you're going to hear Jesus speak is if you spend time with him. He doesn't slip in and give you a quick message as you're running somewhere. He just lets you run. When you get tired of running, hopefully an Andrew will come and talk to you. I hope today I'm an Andrew for some of you. Because I found the Messiah. Let's turn to the Gospel of Luke. Shortly after Jesus gets back from his 40 days in the wilderness, he gets connected again with a couple of these men. And he invites them, probably along with Peter, to go to a party. Now, this is very interesting evangelism. The first invitation Jesus gives to the disciples is not to an evangelistic meeting. 
The first invitation he gives them is to a party, a wedding, a week-long shindig. And of course, they run out of wine. And I know some people believe that it was reconstituted grape juice. Believe me, if it was reconstituted grape juice, they would have been happy to run out of it. (laughs) It was wine with a a full-body effervescence. The man said, Wow, you saved the best to last. Now, I'm not recommending that you drink, and I choose not to drink. So don't be legalist with me, please. Hear what I'm saying. Jesus got to know his first disciples in an atmosphere of social gathering, not in the temple. What I'm trying to say is that Jesus can meet you wherever you are. You don't have to be in church to meet Jesus. The turning point often will not come in church. It will often come outside of church where suddenly Jesus confronts you. And you have to make a choice. And choices, choices always reduce future choices. Life is a whole series of choices. I don't have a choice about whether I'm going to become a fireman or a policeman. That's not one of my choices. Why? Because I made a choice a long time ago to follow after the Lord by being a pastor. So there are choices I no longer have. I was a chaplain in the military, in the Navy. Today I don't have a choice about going back and serving as a chaplain in the Navy. Why? Because I chose to resign my commission I close that door. Please hear what I'm saying. Every day we're making choices, and those choices set us on a path or a course, and it reduces our future choices. So when Jesus comes to us and he offers us what he's offering these disciples, and we answer no to that, we are reducing our future choices between heaven and hell. Some of you have made choices that make it very difficult for you to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of you have made choices that make it very easy for you to hear. And some of you are struggling now with a life of sin behind you, with habits, with friends, that constantly call after you to suck you into darkness because of those choices, it's now very difficult to come and get clean and walk honestly with Jesus because your mind is still filled with all of the old pictures. A man who's been deep in pornography and he comes to Jesus will have those pornographic pictures flash back in his mind, constantly coming to test him to say, are you going to really follow Jesus Come on, we were having a good time. A man who's never been into pornography doesn't have those flashing pictures in his mind. So choices are powerful in either binding us or setting us free. Now, by the grace of Jesus, every bondage can be broken. And every man and every woman can be set free by the blood of Jesus. But I tell you, it may not be easy. It may be a painful path you have to walk. Because old habits and old lusts 
and old patterns of behavior are not easily changed. They become like chains on our, on our arms and our legs and on our hearts. So now Jesus has come back. He's reconnected and he takes them to a party. They spend several days together. And then Peter has to go back home and go back to fishing. He has a wife to support. He has family. So now Jesus, in chapter 5 of the Gospel of Luke, goes to find his disciples that are fishing. I wish with all my heart that we could choose to follow Jesus and then from that day forward we're going to follow Jesus. But usually for most of us it doesn't work that way. We make a decision to follow Jesus and then somewhere along the way we fall off. We get caught up in some darkness. We get discouraged and we say, is it worth it? Can I make it? And then Jesus has to come and find us. Remember he said, how precious was the lamb that was lost? He left the 90 and 9 and went out to find that one lost sheep. How many times have you been that one lost sheep? Countless times I've been that lamb. Ready to be devoured. And he comes and finds me. Carries me back. Jesus comes teaching beside the lake. It says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret or Galilee, with the people crowding around him. And that word crowding in the Greek I found amusing. It's the same word in the Greek that's used for for laying something on top of something. So literally, he's saying the people were laying on top of him. I mean, he was really being crowded and pushed. And why? Why? Because they wanted to listen to the word of God. They wanted to listen to the doctrine of heaven. They wanted truth. They were not happy with the teachers of the day who taught philosophical arguments, but with no conviction. They liked to hear Jesus preach. He told stories. He was real. He wasn't off somewhere in the clouds. He was addressing their everyday lives. They wanted to hear him. So he saw at the water's edge two boats. This was obviously in the morning. Fishermen had had left the boats and they were washing their nets in the water. And he got into one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon Peter. And he asked him to put the boat out a little from the shore. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, if you read the context of this story, Peter's the one I'm interested in. You know what Peter was doing while Jesus was preaching? He was washing his nets. He was repairing his fishing nets. He was getting ready for the next day's job. He was not pushing in to hear what Jesus had to say. You wouldn't say Peter was eager to follow Jesus. He already saw the conflict. He had not gone and followed John the baptizer. Andrew had. But he'd stayed in taking care of his fishing business. You know, it's... Peter's a little bit like some people I know. Prayer's going to start at 1.30. If I get there by 2, it's all right. I'll edge in. I'll slip in. 
a lack of eagerness in your heart, a lack of, you know, why should I get there to pray? I'm sure Peter felt that way. You know, breakfast, get the family together, have some time to do a few things. Hey, I'll show when I have time. Any of you identify with what I'm talking about? Well, Jesus finishes his sermon. And it's interesting to me that none of the Gospels record what the sermon said. I wish they had. But it wasn't something that got Peter excited. He probably listened to it while he worked. You ever watched roofers working or builders work and they have their boombox cranked up and they're working while they listen? Well, Jesus was just a boombox to Peter. There was no way Peter believed that he was God he could not begin to comprehend that God would come in the form of a man. To Peter, he was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He said to Simon, put out into deep water Let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught a thing. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. Now there's a man eager to follow Jesus. He uses the Greek term master, which isn't used in the other Gospels. The word in the Greek literally means, okay, boss. Have you ever heard somebody say that to somebody who's not their boss? Somebody who gets bossy, that you don't want to do what they're saying. So you say, all right, boss. Like, I'm the fisherman. I've been fishing all night. I know when to fish. You're the preacher. It's almost like Peter saying, boss, why don't you mind your business? You preach, I'll fish. But he can't rebel too much because he's been taught to respect rabbis. So with an attitude, he says, All right, because you say so, let it be known to everybody around here, this is utterly foolish, and that when I do it, it's because he said so. Don't count this against me as a poor fisherman. I know how to fish. I mean, he was showing attitude to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Have any of you shown God any attitude this week? You know what you're supposed to do. And you get an attitude. And you say, you know what, I don't, I don't, I don't need to do that. Come on. But all right, if I'm supposed to do it. Are any of you mad about what you're supposed to do because you don't want to do it? You know, all of you know what time we start, right? Is there any question here about what time we start? 1.30 prayer time? I think we all know. I mean, you all know what time you're supposed to be at work tomorrow, right? You know if you're supposed to be in class tomorrow. You know if you're supposed to do chores at home. You know 
you know what you're supposed to. We all know what we're supposed to do. Knowing what we're supposed to do does not mean we're going to do it with any joy in our hearts. So that's why I'm asking you, anybody here mad about what you're supposed to do because you don't want to do it? Then you're probably Peter's brother or sister. Peter had just cleaned his nets up. He just arranged them. They were ready for the coming night's fishing. He didn't want to spend another three or four hours cleaning up the boat again and redoing the fishing nets. But okay. Because you say so, Jesus, I'll do it. But you're not being very considerate, Jesus. Because we've been up all night, and then we had to listen to you preach. And now you want more out of us. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, verse 6, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat. That'd be James and John, the sons of Zebedee. To come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full, they were beginning to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. See, Jesus was still in the boat. And of course, he was sitting down in the boat. And Peter just falls right at the knees of Jesus in that boat with all of those flip-flopping fish all around, the gunnels almost going underwater. And he says... Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Until we can see the glory of God and in brilliant light we see our sin, we see our condition, there will be no turning point in your life. As long as you walk around with an attitude about what you're supposed to do and you're mad about it, As long as you walk around with rebellion in your heart, blaming other people, bitter, as long as you walk in your sin and you're never confronted in such a way by the glory of God that you see your real condition, there will be no turning in your life. Now, part of the awesome glory of Jesus is that he comes and he confronts us time after time after time with where we're at before his throne. He does not leave us without a witness concerning our sin. He doesn't leave us without a witness concerning our double-mindedness. Oh, I'll go to church and I'll smile And I'll get out of there and I'll go live my life. And he confronts us with this and he calls us out of it and he does it with courtesy and kindness and love. He even does it with humor. And he keeps calling us and saying, will you come? Will you come? Will you lay down your rebellion? Will you lay down your uncleanness? Will you lay down your anger? Will you lay down those sins that trip you and cause you to not be able to walk in the light? Will you come out of the darkness and will will you walk in the light? Will you come out so that everything you've been doing wrong can be exposed to the light? 
or will you hover in the darkness and pull the clouds of darkness about yourself, your self-righteousness, so that everybody looks at you and says, oh, they're okay, but they know nothing about your secret life of sin. The Lord promised me today that there would be a turning point at the National Prayer Chapel. The turning point is Jesus Christ. When he uncovers the sin of our heart. And we finally have to fall before him and say, I'm not good enough for you, Jesus. The lie that we've all carried all of our lives is that we're good enough. We're as good as the person next to us. You know, what do you want, Pastor? I want us to lay our self-esteem down. In the old days, it was called conceit and pride. I want us to lay it down and humble our hearts before God and recognize that not one of us in this house is worthy of his kindness, his mercy, his grace. So don't take it for granted. He's calling Peter, and Peter is saying, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Now that's somebody Jesus can begin to deal with. As long as there's a pretense of self-righteousness in our hearts, God can't call us to what he wants to call us to. Somewhere, sometime, we finally have to get honest before God. Say, I'm not good enough for, to even be in your presence, Jesus. The glory of Jesus always uncovers our darkness. You know, it's almost like Jesus is saying, Peter, I borrowed your boat, and now I'm going to pay you back. Jesus always pays for what he orders. So, Peter, you're about fishing. That's all you care about. You're not willing to follow John the baptizer. You've got to go fishing. You're not willing to follow me. You're not even willing to stop long enough to listen to me teach. Okay, Peter, you want money? Here's your fish. Do you want God to pay you something? Does God owe you something? Are you, by any chance, today angry with God because you think he owes you something? Should God be paying you something? Do you have a grudge against God today? Be careful, because God may just pay you off and send you on your way. He just paid Peter off. Okay, Peter, you want money? Here's your fish. Peter responds to that by saying, I'm unworthy. God, I don't want you to pay me off. I want you to forgive me for my sin. Because Peter instinctively knew in his heart that once paid off, God was going to say to him, okay, go your way. I don't owe you anything. Don't hold God in debt to you. He may pay you off and say, go your way. It's terrifying for me to even begin to imagine that God owes me something. 
God owes me nothing. It's I who owe everything to him. If God owed me anything, he owes me the fire of hell. He owes me punishment for my sin against him. That's that's all a man could even possibly consider that God would owe him. Unless a man or woman is filled with bitter pride and is out of touch with reality. That's called insanity. And Jesus, in a very kind voice, says to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. You willing to pull your boat up on the shore today? And follow Jesus. That's what this really is all about. But know this, that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, there's only one way to follow him, and that is to be a catcher of men and women. To call men and women to come and join you and lay their lives down and follow Jesus. You can't be a closet follower of Jesus. Jesus doesn't abide in a closet. He abides out where the fishing is going on. He abides out where the parties are held. He abides where people gather for any kind of occasion. That's where he is. And he says, come and follow me and call other men and women and catch them with the good news of the gospel that their sins can be washed away, their bondage can be broken, and that if they'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else, food, clothing, shelter, everything else will be provided. It's a call to lay down our lives, to turn aside from darkness, to no longer follow after the way of the devil, but to follow the way of Jesus Christ. Now, Peter humbled his heart and didn't say to Jesus, thank you for the fish. It's a little more than you owed me. Let me give you some change. He didn't do that. Had he done that, Jesus would have walked out of his life and he would have gone to hell. Instead, Peter humbled his heart and said, Oh, depart from me, Jesus. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And Jesus' response to that confession is always the same. Come and follow me. God only uses broken people in the work of the gospel. He does not use proud, arrogant people. He uses people who have humbled their hearts, who recognize that they're unworthy to follow Jesus Christ, but who've heard the invitation and they've experienced the kindness of Jesus. They've experienced the blood's power and breaking the bondages from their life. And they park their boats and they follow Jesus. You willing to park your boat today and follow Jesus? Almighty God, it's a turning point we need. Lord, yesterday it was very clear there were just two issues one was the cross. And the other was the wounds of our heart. And today I'm coming by faith that as I come to the cross and am crucified and give up my life 
my wounds will be healed and we will be restored. Lord, I don't want you to pay me off. You owe me nothing. I have no debt held against you. For I do not want you to pay me and walk away. Lord, the only business I want to do with you is to surrender my life and be called by your gracious spirit to be a catcher of men. Lord, I think you knew that if the men came, the women would follow. Thank you, Lord.
Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to Present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Presence of His glory will